0: Welcome to Book, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Sneddon. And I'm Rob Olson. Uh, (laughs) This episode, uh, we're going to be talking about someone you might have heard about before on our podcast. Uh, Chuck Wendig has actually agreed to come on and uh, do a bit of an interview with us. Which is awesome, because not only is it Black History
1: Month, but it's also Chuck Wendig Month at Book Podcast. So this couldn't have worked out at a better time. I know. They're going to call us the Wendig Nation. There you go. So, uh... Yeah, very gracious of him to join us, and uh, we're even gonna ha- we're gonna have questions from
0: a special guest that's not on the show. It's kind of weird. That's right. We did our we did our homework. We prepared. We read two of his books. Um, yeah, we, I can't. I hope we're ready. <laughs> There's only one way to find out. In case you haven't listened to the last two episodes, the previous two episodes of our podcast. Where we reviewed his books uh, *Blackbirds* and *Mockingbird*. Here's his bio very briefly for you. Uh, Chuck is a novelist, screenwriter, and game designer. Author of *Blackbirds*, *Double Dead*, and *Dinocalypse Now*, and is co-writer of the short film *Pandemic*, the feature film *Him*, and the Emmy-nominated digital narrative *Collapsus*. He lives in Pennsylvania with his wife. A taco terrier, which we uh, figured out what that was in the previous episode, uh, and tiny human, which I'm assuming is his child. I feel terrible because I just realized I actually called that book Dino Apocalypse. Now, uh, I know, and I caught it while you were saying it, but I decided not to correct you. <laughs> See, That's the kind of loving co-host. <laughs> wow, I thought maybe you just take a razor that part and somehow make
1: it sound right. You know, just take out the "ap" part, but. Um... Anyway, so my apologies on uh, on Apocalypse Now, although Apocalypse Now sounds pretty good, too.
0: That does sound, yeah, not bad.
1: So, did you do that whole, did you do that from memory? Because I realize now that between us recording this, you editing the episodes, and you listening to the episodes, you probably didn't even have to read the author bio. Um, I still read it. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, I think it's probably time to bring on our guest. All right, yeah, let's go. Chuck, thanks for joining us on Book This Evening.
2: Thanks for having me, guys.
0: All right, so uh, the last two episodes we recorded uh, have been a review of Blackbirds and Mockingbirds, so our listeners have heard plenty of us talking about Miriam Black. Uh, what do you think about giving us a little bit of your take on, on the Miriam Black stories?
2: Oh, um, Miriam Black is a fun character to write. She is uh, this crass, somewhat awful character. I like writing sort of damaged Fucked up people. Um, clearly, evidenced by the books. I guess uh, she's this character who sort of grows out of that intersection um, of you know life and death and fate and free will. And she comes out of this place where you know we all grow up sort of expecting that we're functionally immortal, right? I mean, it's like you know, that's why you're a teenager and you you drink and drive fast and you act really stupid. And then there eventually comes a point when people around you start to die and you start to grasp your own inevitable mortality, and you start to be like, oh, okay. This, so this is pretty much where we're all. We're all heading for the big dirt nap at the end of this road. So, uh, you know, as a character, she's sort of a character who both explores the tragedy of that. And then also the, that weird sort of twisted power fantasy of being able to do something about it. But uh, of course that's not an easy, easy uh, mountain to move.
1: So Robin mentioned how pleased he was with, with how strong of a female character um, she was. And right after he had said that my first, the thing I wonder, and whenever I, I hear someone comment on a, on a, personality trait that you know kind of becomes evident throughout the stories is was that your intention when you set out to write her or did she just grow into that you know as you were writing the stories
2: like into into the quote-unquote strong female character yes yeah that's that's one of those things i never i mean and i use that term a lot i say that those three words and i don't know what they mean exactly (laughs) like you know i don't want it to be because it it, i don't want it to sound like it comes from a place of weakness like well women are weak and so she's Mm -hmm. a tough ass kicker and so she's strong it i just mean in this case you know you get a lot of these stories where you know in in terms of some some either earlier romance or some of the you know earlier end of them urban fantasy you can even see them on some of the book covers. It's like, you know, it's about, it's a little more about sex appeal and romance, and it's, it's still always kind of comes from that, like, oh, well, she's, she'll get a man in the end, and it's all good, and it's like, okay, fine. So, to me, it was just, I, you know, I've known these women, including my own wife, who's who's foul-mouthed, you know, worse than I am, and I'm pretty fucking <laughs> foul-mouthed, she, um, and, and I've known these great just awesome characters in my life and I, you know I wanted to sort of embrace some of that and bring some of that that vim and vigor and venom onto the page with uh, someone like Miriam by so it wasn't really a mission to write her it was mostly just she just fell out that way she was just this sort of preconceived she had a voice already you know she just started talking and it was a uh, not a very nice friendly voice but it was funny I liked it
0: <laughs> it's I'm kind of happy it's kind of r- r- refreshing that you uh um stumbled a little bit on, on the framing that it was a strong character, but not out of a, you know, feminist reason or anything like that. Because well, right, like,
2: like she happens to have a vagina, but I don't want right. that to be like the whole... I mean, and obviously, by the same token, you know, I am not a woman, but that being said, I am I'm sure that being a woman comes with certain experiences that I as a man will never have, right? I mean, there's mm-hmm. just that's. But it's also not such a wild difference that they are coming from a place of inferiority or complete and utter separation from... For the human species, they're like, Well, they have a vagina, so they're really weird. I don't know what's going on. So, mm-hmm. that we have to make them we have to pump them up with affirmative action and fiction and make them strong. So to me, it's just a strong character who happens to, as I've noted, have a vagina.
0: And that's kind of yeah, that's because that, when I was trying to explain it on the episode, uh, the first one, I, I hit that same problem where I was like, Uh, I was trying to say it's great that it's a strong female character, but not because you know, there's any kind of like affirmative action need to have them. It was just like. Right. It's a strong character, and it's cool that it's not a guy like every other strong character is.
2: I have totally gotten pushback for for writing a female character like her. Oh, really? Yeah, I've gotten. I there's a lot looking like Goodreads, some of the Blackbirds reviews. They're very uh, displeased with how I wrote. <laughs> some of them say it like I wrote like a chick, basically like with a dick. Like it's like she's a, she's a dude with, but who happens to be a female. Which I mean. I understand the theory behind that, but I have met so many women who sound like Miriam and who act mm-hmm. like Miriam and who are tough. And I mean, they, you know, especially with someone like Miriam who grows up, you know, from her teenage years on, basically on the road. So she's just a mess. Like, so it's like, you know, I feel like it, I at least I like to think it came out of an organic place, not like a like she's a dude, but let's just slap right. some bees on her. Like, OK, that's so. And then some people were very like even suggested that men shouldn't write women well, I was like, well, wow, that's creepy. You're getting into some <laughs> weird territory
1: there. Yeah, okay. I, um, it's funny because the more through this conversation, the only thing I, that keeps going through my head is just that line. And it's early on in the first book where, where or no, I'm sorry. It's halfway through the first book. Where she says um, sometimes a girl lets herself get hit for all kinds of complicated reasons. And, and right. I think that just is, it, it almost felt like, and, and this is not, not to take away from your writing, almost like incidentally you stumbled on like this really, really great insight you know, which I'm sure you did on purpose, but it just the delivery was kind of like a like a wake up call to, to the kind of girl that she is, that she understands the way the world works. And yeah, just because and she, she's the victim she's at times, that it. doesn't mean that it's because she's playing the victim doesn't mean she is the victim. And I just thought that well, was exactly just
2: right. and I'm, I'm not trying to make a statement of women or femininity. By writing <laughs> her as a character. I'm just trying to tell a good story with a, um, an appropriately damaged, but also fixable character.
0: And I think it spoke to Livius because he likes to hit women too.
1: So. Well, that's yeah, exactly. And if they're <laughs> okay with it, it's even that's better. Worse, the, le- the less charges they press,
2: <laughs> sure. So. We're all men here, right? uh, and <laughs> we all hit women. That's what that's what I was taught by the Bible. <laughs> oh, wait, rich, rich religious rant time. Can we do that? <laughs> no. Okay.
0: Uh, <laughs> um, you could if you wanted to, but um right. my next question might not really give you the opportunity are we are we going to see more Miriam are you going to continue the series or is that oh yeah
2: no, the th- uh, third book is um, scheduled for release uh, late this year early 2014 same same publisher awesome uh, it's called and, uh, I, I have it outlined now I start writing it um, I have a young adult book I've got to finish next and then after that I'll get to the next Miriam Black book takes you to Florida
0: very nice oh yeah. oh I don't want to spoil it but I think I know why yeah <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, she doesn't go there for the reasons you think, but that ends up happening anyway.
0: Ah, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, I was
1: thinking about, I was like, this is the interview. We could be a little spoiler, and I've had two listeners in the last in the last week, um, you know, send me pictures of their copy. Yeah, uh, that they uh, like, yeah. So I'm like, yeah. oh, damn it, they oh, haven't yeah, they so... haven't read them yet. So I really still can't say anything.
2: Right. So, well, those um, who have read Mockingbird know why. That's mm-hmm. right. See, you don't have to spoil it. They already know. They either that's... know or they don't, and there's nothing we can do.
0: And they There's can eventually know and listen to this they later and well, they,
2: they should know. <laughs> they should. If they're, if they're good people, they'll know.
1: All right, so long-time listeners of the show, or if you've listened to more than one or two episodes, um, you've probably heard us mention um, Joshua Allen Deech, who's a friend of the show and author of Strangeness and the Proportion. Um, and Chuck, oh, for man. you,
2: you know, it's funny. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but mm-hmm. that's so weird because that's a White Wolf novel. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah, I used to
2: write White Wolf for like 12, 13 years.
0: Did you happen to read it?
2: Believe it or not, I have not read that book, oh, but I heard great things.
0: You must, you must, yeah. as soon as possible. He Sorry had actually, are. he had actually
1: won a um, a contest. Right. right, to write that. Mm-hmm. That's so right. It, his main character, Simon Meeks, is a is a coroner who, when he um, reaches inside the dead people's bodies, can see them on another plane, and, and he uses this to kind of find out what happened to them, and he right. falls in love with a Jane Doe corpse. Oh, that's awesome. So, so this, yeah. So, um uh, Josh is a fan of yours, and and had, uh, had a, we'd asked him for a couple of questions. And the one that would be good at this point of the show to to ask you is, what would be the first thing Miriam Black would say if she shook your hand?
2: <laughs> See, that's people ask I me mean, that, and I, it's one of those things I just you know I don't want to know. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't even want to. I'd be like, just don't touch me. If I knew who was. She shakes,
1: was, shakes would... her, shakes her hand. You punch her in the face so she can't say <laughs> anything.
2: Uh, well, yeah, there you go. I would, I, I would wear gloves or body armor, whatever it would be to, to get away from that skin to skin contact.
1: That's such like, a i
2: like, like, there's like, I had, you know, I grew up with a, like a whole hypochondria thing and a whole. In fact, actually, this book is sort of a way to deal with like fears of death and hypochondria and all that horrible stuff. Which actually, believe it or not, it was a surprisingly capable therapeutic moment. And, uh, no, she can't touch me.
1: Get away from me. You <laughs> awesome. Crazy woman. Rob, we didn't address this on either of the episodes, but real quick, would you want to know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, see, I'm thinking I the same thing. I, I think I'd like to know. Yeah, I would I would have no problem with that.
2: See, it's one of those things I think it would corrupt everything else. I think you would live your entire life based then upon that, and that would...
0: Well, yeah, it's like... Uh,
2: it's the purity of whatever this whole crazy thing we have. Especially if it was like gonna be in like a week, you'd be like, "Oh shit, all these things." Well, yeah, to be that in a
1: week. <laughs> that would be really <laughs> crappy news.
2: So, yeah, but I guess I didn't think of that, that way. Like, in a week, yeah. you're gonna get, you know, you know, hit by a bus, crushed by a bull, you know, like, yeah, whatever.
0: That's true. That's Sorry. true. But it's still, yeah, and you're absolutely right. It would.
2: And actually, it'd almost be worse if it was like you're gonna die in like twenty-two years because. On the one hand, you'd probably create, like, oh, I'm going to do my bucket list now, and I've got plenty of time, and I'm going to go to you know Barbados and jump out of a space plane, and I'm going to do all this crazy <laughs> shit. But then you'd probably still end up living your life half-assed anyway for a little while. You'd be like, oh, I'm going to oh, yeah. get to that. I'm going to get to the space plane. And suddenly you're like, I've got five more years left. And then suddenly you're cramming it anyway.
0: Yeah, that's how I'd be. I'd be like, well, I've got 18 years. Don't worry about it. And then I'd be like, oh, I've got 15 years still. Don't worry you'd about just it. Say, Damn to continue <laughs> to do nothing. Yeah. i <laughs> to do nothing. tomorrow. Then I'd be like, well, maybe she was wrong.
2: (laughs) Fingers crossed.
0: Uh, All right. The other one, um, equally kind of disturbing and weird that Josh gave us, which is why we love him. Uh, If you could, are you ready for this? If you could eat any author's brains, dead or alive, whose brains would it be and what would you gain from it?
2: If I could eat their brains and then gain something from it.
0: Yeah. He's not throwing the softballs here
2: no that's a that's a serious one um dead or alive i would eat james Joyce's brains hmm. and here's why i don't know if you've ever read james Joyce anything by him um uh, you know, know. arguably he sort of helped sort of you know i would say define some of the uh modern literary novel form especially in that truly quote unquote literary sense um ulysses is just a a crazy you know he took like you know myth but then smashed it into like a guy just walking through a city but then his final novel, *Finnegans Wake*, is basically just like ape shit. It makes no sense. It literally—it's just if you read even a single paragraph, it—it's like it's like all these made-up words and just smashed together. It's—it's it's like an insane person's diary. And uh, I would eat his brains just to be like, "What the fuck were you talking about? <laughs> like, what is this book? What is it's not a small book. I mean, it's not as big as *Ulysses*, but it's you know, I couldn't read a pamphlet of that and understand it. And, uh, oh, yeah. so I'd like to know. I tried. Uh, Joseph Campbell tried to write skeleton keys to it, but, you know, I would like to the brain get right <laughs> to it.
1: Maybe that's where I went wrong. I tried reading Finnegan's Wake, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I think I maybe got four pages in and was like, yeah, screw this.
2: Yeah, screw that. <laughs> I, I've known less hardcore James Joyce scholars for, like, yeah, no. And yeah, plus, no, James nope. was also sort of nutty. Like, he wrote really weird, like, sex letters to his, uh, his girlfriend, who had the greatest name, Nora Barnacle. Wow, yeah. <laughs> Nate, Nora Barnacle. And, like, he, he, I think he wore diapers. And, like, who is he? And he was all into, like, farting. He was a very strange guy. So, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a there's a brain that you'd want to, just to see. Just to know.
0: Well, yeah, yeah. You want to go for the weirdos, not, like. You got to yeah. go weird. You got to go weird, for sure.
2: Yeah, you can't go something boring. What's the point?
0: Right. So normally at, at the end of episodes,
1: we ask guests where people can find them. And, and the answer is majority of the time they kind of mumble a website and then they apologize for not having updated it in nine months. Yeah. Um, your blog, on the other hand, has more updates than I think any other blog I've, I've looked at. Mm-hmm. Um, so you spend a lot of time working on it, uh, which is I clear. Do. But are, are you just that chatty or does that type of writing kind of help you with the other stuff that you do? Is it like a therapeutic thing for you?
2: Yeah, it's a little therapeutic. It's about half therapeutic, half, I say this with the, the kindest uh, uh, tone that I can. It's also half a burden. I mean, it's a lot of work. But it is, like, I, I originally started the blog Terrible Minds as sort of a way. It was like me yelling at me about stuff because this is 10 years ago that I started the thing, over 10 years ago. And I had, it was not WordPress. I didn't have any sort of metrics or analytics on it. So I, I had no idea who was reading, which was probably nobody. And I would, it was just me squawking into the void, um, pretty much backing myself like some sort of boomerang. And uh, over time, especially in the last, like, three, four years, um, I've had a pretty significant increased readership. But it's still kind of me talking to me and me talking to an 18-year-old version of myself who was a total asshole. And I'm trying to school him <laughs> on the lessons <laughs> you will face.
0: Mentioned also by... Uh... Chuck Wendig, super fan Josh Deach, who we mentioned a minute ago, uh, he said, "Have you folks looked at Wendig's blog? It's quite awesome. He gives these lists of writer advice that are fucktastic." That's a direct quote. <laughs> uh, what do you I'll think about that. those? Like, uh, I know you've got a few out of just like lists of like you know things to to make your writing better or, or those types of things. Um, yeah,
2: I have, I have quite a few of those now, and um, I have like. Four e-books of them, and then actually, Writers Digest just bought um, a compilation. They're going to put a compilation of those together with some new lists and uh, put it in print and ebook form. So that'll be cool. So Mm. no, it's fun. They're um.
0: What's the motivation behind that? Is it just is it good for you to like uh, like you said, kind of tell yourself, or is it more? Yeah, it's
2: me telling myself and telling you know. like sometimes, as I said, I'm yelling at him like an 18 year old version of myself. but Sometimes I'm yelling at myself from like last week. It's like I, I'll come across, you know, pos- upon some thing that I encountered in my own little writing endeavors, and it's like, oh, I need to say something about this, and to the blog mobile, and then suddenly 25 stupid things pour out of my head.
0: So you've got um, like 500 ways to be a better writer and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and you've probably been asked this question, but um... Any just one or two you want to just throw in here really quick for anybody that's listening?
2: Uh, of those li- li- little reasons?
0: Yeah, or is that too proprietary? <laughs> no,
2: no. I, I The biggest one of all that um, I'm constantly trying to drill into people's heads is to just finish your shit. As I call it, completo el pupo. Like you have to, you know, for, for all the writers that are out there that call themselves writers, there's so many, and I was one of these people for a very long time. Um, you don't just finish anything get halfway through and then you start flirting with some other manuscript behind the shed and next thing you know that other one is, you know, you're porking it behind the the wood pile and there's, you know, you forget, there's like a trail of like manuscript corpses you've just abandoned by the road and if you really want to separate yourself from all of those other types of writers, you have to start completing things and only in completing things do you actually start to learn what you're doing because you have an entire structure of something you can you can look at, but if it's just this sort of like half a dick flopping in the wind, and there's just nothing you can do with that.
0: Oh man, we got to get you on this podcast more often. <laughs> there's like, because like, all right, so not to get too much off of, off of the topic or anything, but like, and I'm not going to name any names, but you've get people on who seem like they're naturally more, uh, flower flowery when they're talking. And then there's other people who are just very, either too succinct or too, you know, simple right. or like not, you know, so like it, <laughs> The more entertaining yeah. the, the speech, the better, in my opinion. I'm not even
2: drinking tonight. so. <laughs> <laughs> uh.
1: um, recently, I read a piece on your blog that detailed a, a very objective both sides of the coin look at um, online piracy. So I've oh, seen yeah. lots of these things before, especially from from writers. I've never seen one that was objective at all. So did you get yeah. pushback from from fellow writers on on being you know kind of like
2: I actually I'm really fair surprised. about it? I kind of didn't, um, mm. which I was surprised about. I don't know if it's just because people kind of already some of those people who might have pushed back already knew how I would have felt about it because I have talked mm. about it sometimes on Twitter or whatever before. Um, but I also think because I, I sometimes like I, it sounds strange, but if you, you can defeat people in advance with reason. Like if you give if you if you play Devil's Advocate enough and you're like I'm gonna address everybody in this room and not just like that guy over there and not just myself, if you try to give everybody a little something that they can agree with, it makes them less upset at you when you say something they don't agree with. Um, and I don't mean that as like a, a technique, like I'm manipulating them. I mean I do. I really think this is a, a like a multifarious crazy issue that doesn't have one single thing. And I think you know the the, the writers who are mad about it, like I get them. I understand that, and so I wanted to acknowledge that. But on the other hand, I also acknowledge that being mad at it is not particularly useful. It's you know, it's basically just like I'm yelling at planes all day, You're like oh damn you planes for flying over. It's like well, that sucks for you that that annoys you, but they're gonna keep flying over your fucking head. So I'm very sorry about that. So there's you know, I just tried to address that in a funny, end. and that's the other thing, trying to be funny. It's hard to sometimes get mad at me when I'm like. Using absurd metaphors of like leprechauns and shit because it's like, well, I did say leprechauns, so you kind of can't yell at me. I probably don't mean what I say anyway.
0: Yeah, with especially with digital content, uh, piracy is just such a weird gray area. And yeah, I guess the real to be like as reductive as possible, the like the two ways to go about it are like you said, kind of just fuming about it, uh, or legal, I guess, legal avenues or. Or being creative and finding ways to like take the wind out of that particular sail, yeah, is the way right. I look at it. You kind need of
2: maybe like in some sort of like aikido move, sort of redirect the energy, yeah. to some positive use.
0: And in that way, it's like you're you're really taking control of the destiny of whatever digital thing you have, I guess. But right, right, yeah. But it is one of those things where it's like I can't say that I fully disagree with anybody on the topic. It's just so yeah, weird and neb- nebulous, yeah gonna sound kind
1: of weird saying this I, I i think but i've always found it amusing that i could find writers railing against piracy but then every week they're giving away a book on amazon and i realize that that's within their control yeah but you know it's so yeah I, <laughs> these guys are pirating my books online but this weekend i'm gonna have you know this book is gonna be free for four days go ahead and grab it right is is kind of a weird because it's author's pirating themselves sort of i mean it's well the same they still get theory. money you for that, that someone takes it for free yeah and then buys the rest of your your stuff so
0: but yeah i understand thing. it's in their control it's a little different knock it over and take it i guess um i'm just hoping that one day because the obviously our podcast episodes are all free that like the opposite happens and someone just like without our you know approval just pays us for one of the episodes
2: that'd be nice yeah. magic like magic podcast money
0: yeah, like it just shows up in my bank account, I'm like, what the right. hell is this? Yeah, not going to happen. <laughs> oh, I guess I'm supposed to ask a question, huh?
2: Oh. <laughs> if you want. It's up to you.
0: We're, we're doing a good job of alternating, and I got so caught up in uh, talking about someone paying us that I lost track of what's going on. It's easy to uh, get caught up in the- <laughs> um, How does the screenwriting and um, even doing the, RP- the writing for RPGs differ? from when you're sitting down to, to create a novel?
2: Well, the RPG thing, either that or writing video games, is always you, you, the power there is that you're trying to tell someone else's story. You're trying to more or less help them tell their story, I guess, is really the way to do it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas, obviously, like, so you're trying to really excise your ego from the equation, whereas with a novel, you're it's really all about you. I mean, writing a novel is one of those things where it's like, it takes a lot of ego. For as much as we're all like damaged, sort of like self-hating people, at the same time it takes a tremendous amount of ego to say, I'm going to write like 80,000 words and I think it's awesome enough that a whole bunch of people should read it. I mean, you know, here's this little brick of words. It's great. Check it out. So, you know, on the one hand, you're trying to tell your story, but RPGs and games and stuff you're telling someone else is. Screenplays are similar to novels in that it's that same level of ego, um, though it really is important to remember that it's a blueprint. Um, the script is not the final product, whereas the novel is. The novel's what they get, and that's it. Um, and the script is, is a little more sniper bullety as opposed to the machine gun spray of a novel. Like with a screenplay, you have to be really precise. And that's actually the thing that got me into writing black words was I fucked this novel up for years. I was trying to write it and it just was like this meandering, you know, it was like a water wiggle. It was just spraying everywhere. And, uh, <laughs> so by the end it was like, I knew I had to do something. there was a local screenwriting contest, uh, with a screenwriter named Steven Susco who wrote, um, the two grudge films. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the prize was, it's like homework, but it's a stupid prize in a way, but it's like the prize was a year-long mentorship with him, which is awesome for people who like to work, but as a prize, it's like you want a fucking car or something, not a, not a homework <laughs> design. Um So I thought, well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to learn how to write screenplays in order to figure out my novel. Um, and I actually did get the mentorship, and so I did mentor with him for a year. And uh, I did learn the most critical thing that I needed to do in terms of writing, which was to outline. Uh, I had to, all I had to do, I literally just had to outline. And I resisted it for so long. I was like, no, I'm an artist. I'm shake my fist at you, stupid <laughs> people want me to outline. I resisted it for so long. And then I did it. And, like, right after I did it, the whole novel made sense. And then I finished the novel, like, like I mean, just snap. And I did it, with, you know, Blackbirds took me God, know how many years to write. And then Mockingbird took me 30 days. So wow. it's like nice. <laughs> outlining was really the thing. I was I'm a pantser by heart, but a plotter by necessity. So I think I answered your question. Yes.
1: Of <laughs> of of those three different type hell, you do kind of like educational writings in your list ways, is there one you prefer yep. over the other?
2: Um, uh, probably the novel writing. Um, because 'cause I'm most comfortable with it and what's up, it's what I've always wanted to do. So it feels like a really great, satisfying thing to be able to do it and make a living off of it because it's been like you know and it's not only has it been a thing i wanted to do but it's a thing that everyone tells you you really can't do you will constantly go through life and be like you can't do that it's not there's no money in it you're gonna have to keep your day job you're you're really a stupid person for trying this i was like okay all right so um it's very satisfying (laughs) to have that the screenplay thing there's uh, more money in it in the grand scheme of things um so that's nice
1: it's always been so upsetting to me because that's exactly it. Screenwriters can can live off of that, and great novelists, you know, can still tend bar and you know yeah. show up to factory jobs. So, it's a little disappointing. <laughs> One
2: weird thing about being a screenwriter is it's like you can. There's so many screenwriters who live off of not making movies, by which I mean they write them and someone options it and it goes through all that whole process and never gets made, but they've been paid. <laughs> yeah, paid. they get their check. Yeah. <laughs> They get a check. I mean, and and that's not a, I don't mean it's not the screenwriter's fault. That's just the the system. But it is weird. You'll meet these, like, really a Like, when I was at the uh, screenwriting uh, lab at Sundance, or or even at Sundance itself, you meet all these screenwriters, and you want to be like, well, what have you done? And they're like, I've done so much, and you've never heard any of it. You've never even seen it. It's not, it's never going to happen, and I've done so much. It's just such a strange thing, because novelists, in a sense, put up with that by getting rejected. But, I mean, it's not like you go through the process of, like, oh, I got bought by Random House, and here's my cover, and here's my – and it's never going to reach shelves. It's just – I wrote 10 books. No one ever read them. you're like, oh, that's really fucked up.
0: Yeah, can you imagine if, like, the publishing industry worked anything at all like Hollywood? Because you're exactly right. Hollywood will, like – you'll make something, and then they'll be like, we're going to buy this. And then based on whatever random, you know, voodoo factors that they have, they decide it's not going to go to to air. But then – they own the rights to it and they're not going to sell them back to you or sell them at all so it sits on a shelf for decades exactly like can you imagine if like
2: publishing have not worked in hollywood <laughs>
0: yeah yeah that's it's it's un, I, yeah i can't imagine another industry that would work that way yeah uh, it's the return oh. thing it's the return on investment i think like yeah very strange yeah.
1: Uh, I've never thought about that, and I know that like rights to movies will revert back to people, and they sell them again, and it doesn't get made. But it never yeah. occurred to me that yes, yeah, screenwriters can make an actual living, never being "quote unquote" successful in their their yep. their bit,
0: which is to actually get it made. So that's
2: yeah, kind of not weird. successful in the public eye. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess the nearest you can get, and we talked about this in the past with like uh, I know Craig Clevenger, we were talking a little bit a long time ago about um, one of his books being option so he got a you know he got the rights bought or whatever so he got a little Oops. bit of money and then that progressed to a certain level but then like you know or or also i think max barry we were talking about his books is either max Berry or xg one of them yeah. but anyway um like they'll get optioned they'll get money for it but then it'll just get kind of get scrapped so they like maybe the rights get bought again or get optioned. so like there's kind of cycles of getting money for the same thing which is a little bit weird too
2: yeah, and it's like money for nothing in a way. Right, exactly. It's like it was parking a car on your screenplay to not make it, <laughs> your your novel. Like I'm just gonna park my car here
0: just to have the ability. Anyway.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> one one random thing that just came up, kind of as you were talking, which we have such a hard time remembering to talk about when we're talking about books, is the covers. And I was curious um, because Blackbirds and Mockingbird have excellent, excellent covers.
2: Joey yeah, really High Five, man! I won the cover lottery.
0: Is that now? Did you have did you have a, a history with him, or is this just kind of like no, this is what? No,
2: I, I knew him peripherally through um, the author uh, Lauren Buchs, who um, wrote Zoo City and the upcoming Shining Girls, which is Shining Girls. Like Zoo City's great, but Shining Girls, which is like a time traveling serial killer, it's like um, if you like merge like a uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub, but got even better. It's, it's great. <laughs> um, so she knows him. He's a South African um, artist, and uh, so she. Um, he did her covers for Zoo City and uh, for um, her uh, uh, sh- short story collection before that. And so I was familiar with him. And, uh, I, you know, they anchor up, I bought Blackbirds, and then one day they're like, oh, here's the first draft of your uh, cover, and it's by Joey Hi-Fi. And I was like, oh, crap. And, uh, so I, and then I saw it, and I was pretty much just my jaw fell out of my head, and I, you know, entered a, a joy joyful coma for like a week. So good.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's, good. that's the kind of cover yeah. that sells books. I mean, like, it's a big, covers can be a big yeah. deal, and, and that's, it is. yeah, for sure.
2: And here's the thing, I just saw the first draft of the cover to my next book, The Blue Blazes, and it's Joey Hi-Fi once again, so wow. I'm very excited. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. it's something that so, maybe sometimes we don't talk about, because the covers just aren't that exciting, now that I think of it. Well, that's, Some yeah. covers aren't very good. <laughs> Yeah, I robot
2: does phenomenal covers. That's one thing I got to give them as a publisher. I mean, I got to give them lots of things, but publisher constantly doing great covers.
1: Yeah, it, in this, um, and one of our guests had mentioned this, I remember it was way back when, but how important it is that it be eye catching because it used to be that you were looking at a, you know, whatever, a five by eight book in a bookstore yeah. or at a library. And now you're looking at a like one by two inch picture on your computer screen when you're making a yeah. your decision on what to buy. So if it doesn't. It can be a beautiful cover, but if it doesn't stand out from the, whatever it is, six thumbnail. books that are around it, yeah, then yeah. no one's going to click on it. So so what are you working on now, Chuck?
2: Uh, I just finished up two books. Um, turns out I'm working on a lot. I've got, like, a whole, whole butt ton of books coming out soon. I just finished up work on uh, The Blue Blazes, which is also with Angry Robot. Um, it sort of mashes up the idea of the criminal underworld with, like, the mythic. Monstrous underworld, and sort of there's like one brutish, thuggish character who's the the crux of that of this dead intersection. Uh, And then I just uh, finished up the second Dinocalypse book, uh, Beyond Dinocalypse. So then I start now. I pick up and I start the second book to my uh, young adult trilogy, which is coming out with um, Amazon Children's Publishing. Uh, It's called the Heartland Trilogy. And then just after that, I start work on the Cormorant, uh, the third Miriam Black book. That's so you're not, so sold, you're not um, doing a whole lot,
1: is what you're saying. <laughs> I
2: also just sold, I, I last year I kick-started, actually even before that, I, I wrote a, a novella called Shotgun Gravy, which is about this sort of teenage vigilante slash detective anti-bully girl, uh, Atlanta Burns, who is sort of like a Veronica Mars, Nancy Drew on Adderall. She's you know, that sort of character. So it's like a noir-edged young adult sort of thing. And I wrote a novella. It did by my estimations, fairly well in terms of self-publishing, and so I kickstarted um, the novel sequel to it called Bait Dog, which is about her in, in, sort of entering a, a dog-fighting world at the same time she's trying to solve a, uh, the murder of her friend. And uh, so that was very successful with Kickstarter, and actually the Kickstarter um, funded two books, uh, that, Bait Dog, and a uh, follow-up. And uh, so I wrote Bait Dog and self-published it, and then actually Amazon recently made a uh, bid... To publish it as a young adult novel and publish the follow-up um so that's also i'm working on that so i'm working on a lot of stuff i'm I'm, a little, I'm on fire and i mean not like in a like a, i'm on fire i mean like i'm burning alive in my own <laughs> cauldron of, of words
1: do you it hurts. do you work on a lot of this stuff simultaneously i mean do you like yeah today's tuesday i'm gonna work on bait dog and to my are you able to separate your stories not like in your head that bite. way
2: I'll write in the mornings and then I'll edit in the afternoon. So I'll be writing something new in the morning and I'll be editing something new in the afternoon. Now the one difference that sometimes I can write, if it's, if one thing is a novel and another thing is a script, I can, then I can multitask a little bit. Um, but I can't do, I still don't do day to day. I, I, if I'm working on a novel, I'm working on it every day until it's done. And then I'll just find other hours in my day to do some other stuff, (laughs) you know, pornography.
0: Well, naturally. Mm -hmm before we wrap, uh, before we wrap this up, is there, uh, anything, uh, of your, of your own or, or of someone else that you'd like to, uh, spend a little time talking about?
2: Uh, I think we've talked a lot about me. <laughs> I just, uh, I have a friend, uh, Stephen Blackmore who wrote, um, and you guys should totally review one of one or both of his, his books. you wrote a, uh, an urban fantasy called city of the dead, um, city of the lost, excuse me. And, uh, it's a great book, just sort of, a, again, it's got that urban fantasy hook to it, but it's, you know, if you take Jim Butcher and you throw in a little more of the, the crime noir thing or the Richard Cadry, uh, and he did a follow-up, which is not a sequel so much as it's a new story set in the same world called Dead Things that just came out, and it, it, I read it like a year ago to, um, for, for blurbing purposes and also even before that to sort of like brainstorm stuff around the novel. And uh, it was really one of my favorite reads of that year. And uh, would if I read it again this year, it would probably be one of my favorite reads this year. Uh, so Dead Things, Stephen Blackmore, great book. Um, and obviously I mentioned Lauren Bucus's, uh The Shining Girls, are just coming out. Adam Christopher's The Age Atomic is coming out soon, um, which is a really incredible follow-up to Empire State. Um, in fact, I think it's easily surpasses uh, Empire State. I think it's really solid stuff. I'm really fortunate. I know a lot of really awesome writers these days. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very inspired by... Uh, the, the really cool people around me doing, doing sweet, sweet stuff.
0: That's uh, 100% why we actually do this podcast. We're turn- not at the beginning, but now it's like we just meet such incredible people that I, I don't want to ever not do this.
2: Well, see, it's funny. Like, I was looking back at your um, the list of like, all the people you've had on and stuff, and it's weird how it intersects with so many people I know like just like you know uh, you know matt Funk and, and anthony neil smith and all these people who just sort of, sort of intersect in your. yep oh yeah but then also like the white wolf thing was it was just like it was really great
0: yeah our, funny. funny thing all right um i don't know if we've ever should i go into this the josh Deach connection Olivia? sure yep turns out all right the reason that we know josh Deach, the guy that wrote strangers in the yep. proportion is um he went to the same high school as me like uh him and I have common friends and we we've, we've hung out a lot since like mm-hmm. we never were friends until after this book was pretty much done because right. we, we always had common friends but never really knew each other so um it was one of those things where it was like oh I've got a book coming out and we're like You're super nervous you know I'm always super <laughs> nervous about if I know someone and their book and yeah. everything but uh but it turned out that I just fell so in love with the book because it's just so well done and um, yeah. So, like, the whole fact that I knew him uh, years and years ago doesn't even matter. So, like, yeah, it's just a weird, a weird connection, but it worked out nice. Yeah. And he writes video games for a living. So, when you were talking about writing video games, I was like, see, What are does he we... write? I didn't realize that he writes so, for. Uh... Oh God, I'm going to be so embarrassed. I don't know. Is it Age of Conan? Is that it? Yes. Yeah. Age of Conan. Yeah. It's so
2: fun, fun comics. Really. Fun. Yeah. Yes. Yep. He
0: works for them. Uh, I know a lot. Of people Glad somebody up. knows where he works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, so uh, I'm like, uh, are we talking to Josh or are we talking to Chuck and Wendy? here? It was weird.
2: <laughs> I am Josh, as it turns out. uh <laughs> he's got punk. Damn. I ask myself questions about that.
0: <laughs> oh, that would be the, the weirdest twist. All right. Uh, that would
2: be, yeah, that's a twist ending. I I would <laughs> it up. I Hitchcocked this this bad boy.
0: Uh, well, I'd be very impressed if you did that.
2: Yeah, sorry. I'm not that good. <laughs>
1: All right, so of all those 18 things you've got going on, um, you've got two new big fans here at Booked. Which one is the one that's going to hit the shelves first?
2: Um, Which book is coming out first? Mm -hmm. Um, Technically next, I have Gods and Monsters, Unclean Spirits, uh, which is a kind of this guy. the, The gods have fallen to Earth, and they live here now. Um, all the gods and they're you know a dysfunctional group and one guy wants to sort of get revenge on them um, but then that times out very close to the Blue Blazes which comes out also in May um, and that's uh, um not to say I'm not proud of Gods and Monsters but Gods and Monsters is kind of work for hire stuff um, which and I think it's good and I enjoyed writing it Blue Blazes is like a story that's been in my head for like the last five years so I'm pretty excited about that one
1: very
0: cool Rob we've got some summer reading
2: yeah oh yeah awesome yeah yeah
0: yeah (laughs) we should just make it the chuck wendig year where we just cover
2: um, yeah that'd be great (laughs) (laughs) i I support this i will i'll pay you for that can i do that we talked about getting getting that sweet (laughs) podcast money
0: we well we (laughs) we said that if james patterson approached us and said that he would pay us like a decent living wage to just do a podcast review giving favorable reviews to his books i think we'd have to cave and do it
2: it's like a really boring version of the movie, Indecent Proposal. Exactly, yeah. right. <laughs> it's just like, like the most... He like... throws money on a bed, <laughs> and you just roll around in it and read good reviews of his books. That's, That's right. I mean, it's not as sexy, but it's there.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm totally for that. I'm, I'm writing a proposal letter right now.
2: So. <laughs> just, yeah, people who know people.
0: Uh, all right. Well, on that note... Um... <laughs> Uh, I just want to thank you, Chuck, for taking the time to come on and talk to us. And uh, no, thanks for having me. And, and for writing awesome. those wonderful books. Uh, we really appreciate your time.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you again.
0: Yeah, that concludes uh, Chuck Wendig month here at the Book Podcast. Yeah. we Well, we gave him February, so I hope he doesn't take that uh, the wrong way. Yeah. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> the shortest month. Shortest month of
1: the year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I remember years ago when, uh, do you remember the blaze? The, the radio uh, station? Yeah, the radio. Okay, yeah. So the, when they took over from whatever it was, it was like an adult contemporary station before that. They played, is um, it Rock, Rock, Till You Drop for like three days, it, just on loop, I'm guessing, until they got all their stuff set up and whatever. And then they never ever played that song again. That's Chuck Wendig for us. Are you saying we're
0: never going to review another one of his books? We may never even mention him by name. I, well, that's, yeah, I mean. All right, it's unlikely, but. If- <laughs> If we can't stop mentoring Sean Ferguson. Um, that's true. And, and he, he didn't uh, call me an asshole for mispronouncing his
1: his book, too. So that was kind of cool. Yeah.
0: And we haven't even reviewed a Sean Ferguson book. So. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess that's true. Yeah. So, so. Um,
1: if you missed it, we didn't mention it at the end of the episode, but uh, we did talk about it a little bit in the middle. TerribleMinds.com. No fancy spellings, no nothing. TerribleMinds.com is the blog of Chuck Wendig. There is a ton, a ton of content and, and writers with blogs, take heed. There's a guy who keeps up with it. I I swear there's some
0: days he's got to have like two or three posts on there. Yes, it is. It is possible to be a writer and maintain a blog that's not only consistently updated, but actually interesting. Um, Kind of like he was saying, and the way that he writes some of his stuff that he put makes it a little bit weird. So you can't argue with him. Um, He's just got a very easy to read style.
2: Yeah.
1: I mean I'm going back. He's got the it looked like he skipped the weekend maybe. And he's got stuff for like the last two weeks every day with with some days with multiple entries.
0: So. Yeah. has Got to take awesome that mistake. taco terrier for a walk. Yeah, we didn't talk about the taco terrier at all. I was gonna, but then I got all caught up talking about book covers and stuff, so I figured that was more a little more on point. Maybe uh maybe for our other podcast, Petted. Petted. <laughs> we can have him on. Oh. Uh now if we you know what if we ever started a knitting podcast we could call it hooked
1: (laughs) oh wow you know we had this great episode up until now all these interesting
0: things (laughs) and now that it's just me and you this is what it's devolved (laughs) poor yeah chuck went i went I i was being completely sincere earlier when i said we needed him on more because he's actually interesting yes agreed so um you want to tell the folks what we have coming up next Absolutely. I will. Uh, our next episode, uh, which this, this Chuck Wendig, we're kind of dropping it as a bonus or an extra. Um, there's going to be kind of two this week ish period of time, I guess. And the other one that we're dropping in just a few days is going to be our review of the J David Osborne book, low down death, right. Easy. That just recently came out from swallow down press. And in
1: keeping with our promise of even more people on the show, we're going to have a guest host. Is that our second guest host of the year? That'll be our second guest host of the year, yes. Wow. One per so. month so far. Yeah. Um I think part of it is just because we've had to
0: talk to her so much lately because of the anthology. Well we might as well just have her come on and talk about a book. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're already we haven't put her to enough work, so we wanna make our work a little bit harder. We made her read a book and now we're making her talk about it. Yep. So, Manarchy editor and editor of the book anthology Pella Via, will be joining us. Editor in chief of Manarchy. Editor in chief. Is there a difference between editor? Oh, I guess. Oh, well, because then there's, there's like, like, yeah. I gotcha. Like sub editors, like just a regular editor, fiction right. editor, whatever. Art editor. Yeah. So she's the editor in chief of Manarchy, and yes as Olivia said, our editor for the Booked Anthology. Do not we have any th- editor chief though. We're not giving her that title. No. No. No to hell with that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm very much looking forward to that. The
0: return of Skip Papers-Lee next week again. That's right. I can never get enough of that Skip Papers-Lee. He's just cool. super funny. So, um,
1: And then we probably should do some planning for the future episodes. We're going to Boston, man. We're going to have to figure out how to squeeze
0: in an episode that week. Yeah, do we know anybody that talks that can mimic our voices? Oh, I think you just asked for <laughs> just some bad shit to happen. You can call us at area code 773-559. No, I'm sorry, 599-1057 and imitate our voices. Oh, God. Leave us a message imitating Livius's voice. Yeah. And then that'll
1: just be our episode the week we're in Boston, whatever you leave. So try to make it, <laughs> try to make it just short of an hour. That'd be perfect. Yeah, and uh, thanks in advance <laughs> Alright, until next time Which is just in a couple of days I'm Olivia Sneddon
0: And I'm Rob Olson, keep reading
1: If you go, I was sure die With change